Aye, aye, aye. That's right, people. We are back with a brand new episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. <laughs> I am your usual host, Mike Wilson. And yes, I am responsible slash guilty for the film we're going to be reviewing this uh, particular episode, which I'll get into. But uh, first of all, it's my duty as host to introduce uh, the people that I am also subjecting to this. So first of all, uh, please welcome my usual co-host, DK. Hello. Hi, DK. Um, uh, and we are joined by a special guest. You'll have heard him from our reviews of Scream and Scream. <sighs> Scream 1 and 5. Sorry, and on a, a collab with my uh, podcast, Pacey Sheet, with, for what we do on the shadows as well. What we do in the shadows, what we do for the shadows. Oh, that's right. Of course, I keep forgetting yeah. you guys did that one. Yeah, what we do in the shadows. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the movie, which, yeah, it's on the channel somewhere as well. So, yeah, you also might know him if you do to uh, the Nerd Bible podcast or on Pasty Sheep. Uh, welcome back, Connor. Connor, welcome. Aye, aye, aye. What a return back. <laughs> what a return. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. But, uh, yeah, so just to give you a tiny little bit of background of why we're here, other than the fact that, hello, it's me, I'm the problem, <laughs> in the words of Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> uh, in on August the twenty eighth, nineteen ninety three. So in mere days after when you are listening to this, a phenomenon launched thirty years ago, almost to the day Power Rangers started. Uh, yeah, that was the the date of the airing of Day of the Dumpster, the very first episode of Power Rangers. Uh, it's a franchise that's been near and dear to my heart for pretty much that entire thirty years, as anybody who knows me will pretty much tell you. And so I wanted to do something on this podcast to celebrate that fact. Uh, you know, I did. I wanted to. You know, try and introduce somebody to something they might not expect or a little bit different, but still make it Power Rangers. So as a result, we are going to be reviewing Power Rangers 2017, a film which, weirdly enough, neither of my uh, co-hosts today had actually seen previously. So, yeah, um, it will be a new experience from them. Not from me. I did see it in cinemas at the time, but I was surprised to learn that I don't think it quite hit the mainstream. A lot of people didn't even seem to know it existed or, or it hadn't really made an impact. So... We'll see how it affects everyone that's listening and to those of us that are here today. Um, but yeah, if you are, basically, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of like the Power Rangers fandom and stuff, but if you are interested in that sort of thing, <clears throat> firstly, hello, please, let's talk. And secondly, uh, we did a massive like three-hour-long podcast over on the Nerd Bible Podcast, which I'll put a link to, where me, Connor, and George just discussed literally everything about the full 30 years of the franchise. Just, just a little bit of, just a little bit covering 30 years. I mean, maybe not 30 years worth, but I mean, it did go on for quite a while. We got halfway at least, 15 covered for sure. <laughs> oh, we covered it all, dude. It was three hours. <laughs> it was it basically me educating you guys about a lot of the stuff you haven't seen and us going over the favourite stuff that we have and everything. And then it was during that that Connor was like, oh, if you're reviewing that, I'll join you for that one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why. He, sign no, me up only... for a film I haven't seen. Yeah, sign me up for anything I haven't seen. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I'm intrigued to know, because obviously I know from that episode that we did, Connor, what your kind of entryway to Power Rangers is and what you know about it as a franchise and what you don't know. But I've never actually asked, yeah. you, uh, besides kind of knowing me as a friend for the last couple of years, what is your exposure to the franchise like? My, I think the only one that I've ever watched the whole way through prior to this one was the, was it, 95 movie? Right, yeah, the one that I just found on YouTube for free. I mean, it literally yeah. says it all in the picture. It says it all in the profile pic. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's it's... exposed to the ooze. Everyone's been exposed to good old Ivan. <laughs> it is warm here. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's something that I I never 
going back to when we did that little mini review of ET, Mike, it's something that I never really had that much of a connection. I was kind of a little old for it. So I would, you know, be flicking through the channels and I'd see, and occasionally I'd leave it on, but it, it was, it was something that I never really stuck with, if you know what I mean. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think one of those things that either hit you or it didn't, and uh, at least you've never really been overly judgmental. Like a lot of people about when they hear about my fandom are kind of like the kids show. But you know, given given your uh, mate, mate I'm out there buying Master of the Universe figures. That ship sailed long ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I mean, I was surprised to learn when the internet became more of a thing, like within the lifetime of this show. I was surprised to learn how many kind of adult fans and collectors and fan groups there actually were. So I was like, oh, okay, so it isn't really that weird of a thing to be into this. It's just like superhero fandom or anything else. And then, of course, that took off. And so, yeah, I think that became a lot more acceptable and a lot more mainstream, which, again, is why I'm surprised that this film didn't seem to find an audience at all. Um, and I'm not sure if it's marketing or, you know, whether it's brand recognition towards the negative. Who knows? But, uh, we're not here to, you know, to debate that back and forth. We'll just, uh, we're here to just give our opinions. Uh, before I jump into the behind-the-scenes section, because I will be doing it, of course, this week, I will say that um, I, I am leading this review and hosting everything today because, of, you know, it makes sense for me to do that. I don't want to just be kind of talking the whole time and just me rambling about my thoughts, which are going to be pre pretty obvious. So I have just organized it where I'm going to be throwing you guys a lot of questions to ask your thoughts and opinions, because I'm intrigued to hear them. So, uh, you know, <laughs> apologies in advance if I catch you off guard or anything, and... I feel like I'm getting carried away and uh, rambling on too much about something. Feel free to interrupt because I do want it to be a kind of, you know, a, a review from all three of us, not just my thoughts. And then you guys going, I agree, I disagree, whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's not just you in a box of Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just to make it clear, you're not Tommy Oliver. You're not the leader of the Rangers. <laughs> you're not the leader. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks for destroying that truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give somebody else your power coin then, Connor. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so as I say, if you're new to the podcast, we not normally break it down into sections. And the first of these is to go into a behind-the-scenes section uh, with any kind of information that we have on the uh, film in question. Uh, it's going to be quite a long one this week because I didn't even need to look up sources. I just know a awful lot about this. Um, so as I say, hopefully it'll be of interest to you. It's not, you know, it's not just all like, Power Rangers type stuff. I think it's quite intriguing. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, here is some background music that I'm hoping is going to work uh, for while I ramble on. That'll do. That sounds suitably Ron Wassum and S. Go, go Power Rangers. Go, exactly. go, my club can... rangers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, raves. Power ravers. Anyway. Go, go, go. So, the behind the scenes for this movie then. Uh, Brian Cranston, who plays Zordon in this film, you may not know, started out his career as a voice actor and actually voiced two characters in the first season of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TV show, probably Snizzard and Twin Man. The Blue Ranger from the TV show in this movie was widely believed to have been named Billy Cranston as a tribute to him. Uh, however, in recent years, promotional material for an attempted Bioman adaptation by Haim Saban from 1984 revealed that surname was decided on long before Cranston became involved with the series and is actually just a bizarre coincidence. Despite this, Cranston was informed that the character shared his name, the rumour does persist, and it caused uh, some later controversy when this movie was released because Cranston had responded at the time, he's the fair one, that's the problem. 
Uh, on Cranston being cast in this movie, the original Blue Ranger actor David Yost, who has since come out as gay, expressed mixed feelings and stated, when I read that interview, which took place about a year before I came out publicly, it really hurt me. When it was brought to Cranston's attention, the actor apologised, adding that he had no memory of the disparaging comments uh, and saying, to be honest, I don't remember saying that. Uh, but I accepted I may have, as Mr. Yost suggests, in an attempt at humour, and he went on adding, to hear that my impulsive and hurt someone's feelings makes me contrite. I accept responsibility for my thoughtless remark and apologise to Mr. Yost and anyone else who may have been offended. <clears throat> so yeah, PR team, full blast there. <laughs> Time for the movie, I think. Um, the name Ocean Bluff Road appears on a street sign. References made to both Mariner Bay and Reefside. These are the fictional settings of the respective shows Power Rangers Jungle Fury, Lightspeed Rescue and Dino Thunder. So a nice little Easter egg for those of us hardcore fans. Um, the big MacGuffin of this movie is the Zeo Crystal. This object also originates from the original TV series and was an ancient power source that in the TV show was split into five pieces. When the Rangers lose their metamorphin powers in battle, five of them are sent on quests to retrieve the pieces and unite the crystal. On doing so, the Rangers gain new powers from this source, leading to the series Power Rangers Zeo. This one might interest you. It's not necessarily Power Rangers related, DK, so you might wake up for this one. <laughs> um, the, much of the Storybrook main buildings from Once Upon a Time can be seen, including the infamous library. However, the CGI clock tower has been removed from its roof. Yeah, I, I spotted Steveston as it was uh, when they were having those flashbacks and everybody was, you know, ash around him. I was like, that's, that's Granny's diner. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, this film the first big-budget superhero film and the first time in the Power Rangers franchise to feature a main hero who's on the autism spectrum, Billy, as well as the first to feature an LGBTQ superhero, Trini, although the recent series Power Rangers Dino Fury, set in the main series timeline, revealed that their Green Ranger, Izzy, is also a lesbian and prominently features her relationship with her girlfriend, Fern. So, you know, making strides towards things. Um, original series actors Amy Jo Johnson and the late Jason David Frank, who played Kimberly and Tommy, have a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo as a pair of citizens reacting to Goldar's rampage. They both wear the clothes of their original Ranger colours, pink and green. Uh, the two did have a longer cameo with actual dialogue, but it was cut from the film. It can, however, be seen on the deleted scenes in the home media room. Did either of you spot Tommy and Kimberly during that brief second? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it literally was a blink and you'll miss it. Like, I almost missed it, and then I looked up and thought, oh, damn. I read that they were in it, and I just was looking for the life <laughs> of me where they were, and I didn't realise it was going to be right at the very end after everything went down. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, the character of Trini in this movie wears a T-shirt with the year 1973 on it. This was the birth year of the late Tui Trang, who played Trini in the original TV series. He had sadly died in a car accident in the year 2001, and this is probably a tribute to her. Uh, after the box office failure of this film, the Ranger cast involved went on to various big roles. Uh, you probably have seen them. Amongst these, Dacre Montgomery, who played Jason, played Billy in Stranger Things. Ludi Lin, Zack, appears in both Aquaman and is Liu Kang in the recent Mortal Kombat movie. RJ Kyler, Billy, appeared in Black Lightning and the Scream TV series. Naomi Scott, Kimberly, was Princess Jasmine in the live-action Aladdin remake for Disney and was a lead in the most recent Charlie's Angels films. And both she and Becky G, who plays Trini, continue to have careers as successful recording artists. Uh, additionally, you can also hear Becky G in cinemas now as Kadri Gar, the AI controlling the supersuit in DC's Blue Beetle movie. So, there you go. The more you know. Nice. <laughs> you can hear it and think, ah, oh, that's the Yellow nice, Ranger. Nice tie-in. Yeah, nice tie-in. <laughs> 
Yeah, you got you got to keep it relevant, keep it fresh. Um, <laughs> this film, as you might probably can tell, was intended to launch a film series with multiple sequels all planned out. But those plans were cancelled due to its commercial failure. Uh, Saban, not long after, sold the entire franchise rights to Hasbro. And guess what? Another reboot is supposedly in development. Yay. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, finally for the BTS section this week, I just want to ask you guys a question. Does uh, does anybody fancy a donut? I've got a weird craving. I'm not sure where it's coming from. <laughs> maybe maybe well, Krispy Kreme, but I can't. maybe maybe Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I won't defend the product placement in this movie, except to say, look, sometimes <laughs> you need to get sources of money from somewhere. Right? <laughs> Did you need to have the evil space witch stopping and admiring a donut? No, but still. <laughs> <laughs> that was genuinely one of my favourite shots. <laughs> that was one of my favourite shots. Just read there and for, all the, the for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. But it was just, why was that Why was that still included? I thought that would have been taken out, surely. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, no, nothing was taken out of this movie. <laughs> I don't think, anyway. But yeah, so uh, that's the behind the scenes. Any questions or thoughts or feelings on any of the things I've touched on? <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't actually aware that the uh, the girl that had played the Yellow Ranger had passed away. That's really sad. Yeah, it was. She was the first kind of big uh, big name. Like I said, two thousand and one, so it was a while ago. I should have said actually the recent <clears throat> special Once and Always, which is way more of a kind of thirtieth anniversary tribute. That is the main plot of that. Is that the Yellow Ranger dies in battle within that? I would say spoiler alert, but it's like within two seconds. And it's basically them dealing with her loss and everything. Um, we talked about that a lot on the Nerd Bible podcast. Our review. Yeah, and on our review. And mm. we that episode. So, um, yeah, I will say if, if you, you know, if, you, if you've watched this movie and it's not quite the Power Rangers you remember and that leaves a bad taste, then I would definitely recommend Once and Always. It's only 50 minutes or so. It's a Netflix special and it is literally just they're visiting the exact section people and everything that you recognize from Mighty Muffin Power Rangers and it's just 30 years later. So, yeah, nostalgia rush in the extreme. <laughs> when it comes to that one. Um, but that's not what this movie is. Like I said, it's trying to be a whole new universe and a new reboot and launched and Splash for a new generation. And it failed. But still. <laughs> Zack, Zack Snyder inspired just by the visuals. <laughs> he reminded me I'll a lot of Snyder. Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to still like this movie. There's no need to drink it into the gutter. I'm a fan of Snyder's <laughs> movies. I wasn't saying that in a bad way, but it's just literally Power Rangers is like particularly Mighty Morphin, which again is when I think Power Rangers, that's where I go to. It's so bright, over the top, cartoony and colourful mm. and all right, much shorter than a feature length movie. I get that. But it just <laughs> why was it just so goddamn dark? Like the good 40 minutes was just pitch black. I was like, what on earth am I even looking at? Why is it all it, nighttime? It's just kind of what threw me because obviously, as I said, I've, I only saw the odd, the odd bit and to me it was colourful, it was high camp, it was fun. So when Mike said, oh, we're watching this, I was really kind of looking forward to it, and it was so grey. (laughs) For me, blue, it was just so goddamn cool, man. It was so cool. It's just like, (laughs) stop being edgy and just let me see what's going on, please. And then like in the back half of the movie, I feel like it got better. But I do appreciate that they they, they started a reboot with basically a masturbating bowl joke. <laughs> he must have found that very pleasurable. It... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did write that down. That's how badly I wanted to make that joke. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh... 
a decision I'm not too sure about, and it is annoying because a lot of the sort of letterbox reviews of this film do just write everything off because they're immediately like, whoa, why would you start with that bad joke? And I'm like, it's a bad joke. I don't like it. But I don't write off the entire movie based on one initial bad joke, you know? It's not even the first scene in the film, technically, but anyway, <laughs> we'll get to that. No, I think, like I, like I was trying to say, I think the, the way that it looks, the way that it does is because this is the way, it, like I said, it's trying to be a young adulty superhero sci-fi fantasy type movie based in, on American things rather than what we're used to, which is basically the Japanese footage just completely cut and pasted. Mm. Converted, and, yeah. You know, Japan and America are very different cultures when it comes to that kind of thing. So, and uh, yeah, there is a bit of them, I think, trying to step away from that kind of all color, childish, shamed type thing to try to get a maybe a, a more mature audience. But like I said, it obviously, you know, your mileage may vary, but it clearly wasn't a huge success. So, yeah. Anyway, um, as I say, we're going to go into the proper review of the uh, the movie now. And what this does, we break it down into sections uh, so that we're not just talking about everything and going through it chronologically. And that breaks down into things like writing and plot, direction, acting, special effects, music. Then we'll go over our favorite character moment and line, hear from our audience, and then finish with our conclusion and a score out of five. So uh, the first thing I want to touch on is the writing and the plot in general. As I said, I'm going to basically bat a few questions you guys were. And I touched on it just there, so... Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention was, what did you guys think about the very first thing you see, which is the Cenozoic era battle where you find out Zordon is the original Red Ranger, Rita is the original Green. She kind of attacked them in this era of the past, and the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs was the attempt to stop her. And all this lore that we get in this kind of initial sequence, what did you guys think of that? We'll come to you first, Connor, because uh... oh, oh, <laughs> falls to think. No, I did. Um, I did kind of think it was quite cool. And off subject matter, it reminded me a lot of the opening to Bumblebee, where with the Transformers on yeah, Cybertron, yeah. and you see like the big downfall of the planet, and you know, essentially, it's it does the last Transformers sort of evacuate Cybertron, and that's where Bumblebee like yeah. actually crash lands on Earth. I mean, that doesn't happen with this, but it is just you get another glimpse, uh, another potential movie that we should have in some way should have got or i would have liked to see much more of, of yeah. like you say the, the prehistoric war of what actually happened to the downfall of the original rangers and just zordon being more than just a giant head in the original series i thought was pretty cool um him actually being a ranger on the field i yeah i quite liked the idea and i, I just thought the sequence was good and and rita repulsa i mean we're gonna like I say not talk in order but rita repulsa actually being a former ranger but green i just thought that was a cool mm throwback to mr tommy oliver but i just thought that was just another good visual piece for me um so i quite yeah. like the opening i was really like intrigued as to where we were going to go with that but of course after that you then go to the reality and <laughs> you know it's angsty teen drama but no of course it's teenagers with attitudes <laughs> yeah i will say no, that i like, really like the opening move for I don't want to move too far into that now, but I will say I think that that was part of the briefers that they took the whole teenagers with attitude thing. I believe I read somewhere and somebody said, you never actually got that, even though it was within the opening credits of the original show. They didn't have any attitude and we wanted to actually do that and make an our brief. We were going to, I'm like, eh, was it successful? I, I, I think it works most of the time, but some of it is already dated and very like, yeah, you sent a new trick on your cell phone. Why should I? <laughs> you know what I mean? That is yeah, very... Yeah. First world teenager problems, guys. Teenagers with techno technological attitude. <laughs> yeah, that is basically a forty-one-year-old scriptwriter. Like, what can, what can kids do to get in trouble these days? Someone <laughs> with cell phones and knew that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
going back to that original, I was kind of intrigued. So you have answered, like, what did you think about the changes to the law in terms of, like I said, where Zordon and Rita fit into things? And I love that because it's kind of a through line throughout. I like that Zordon mm. uses, he was the previous leader and it gives him this weird kind of connection to Jason. And when they're clashing, he gets to sort of, you know, that, that's what, how you get the, well, your team failed. So don't lecture me, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. so you, you as a leader did not do very bloody well. So, so I ain't yeah. gonna listen to you, man. I ain't gonna listen to you. <laughs> I don't think you get quite that level of uh, sort of sulky. No, no. Think it's nice that they're able to put Zordon a bit more in his place like that, because as you say in the original show, it's very much you are the all-knowing, all-wise, great wizard of Oz type. Yeah, we we'll do exactly yeah. what you say without no attitude, without no backlash, without no like implication. It's just like yes, master. In a way, like yes, yeah. sensei. We'll do what you say. Whereas, like you say, because of the backstory in this movie, it's kind of you kind of get the ranger's point in the beginning of mm. all right you're just you're, like you failed like you say you you're the reason why you're ahead because you you didn't you didn't win you, you let Rita win so why should i listen to you it's a kind to an extent um yeah exactly. but no, i liked all of that i liked all that changes so it was good yeah and as, as a kind of one quick thing before i go on to, uh, to ask in dk's thoughts i do think it's nice that you can do things and again the, the new special does this as well but you can do things that the tv series for whatever reason, standards and practices can't do. So you can make reference to the fact that, like, Zordon's entire previous team are dead. There's no, you know, ambiguity mm, about mm. who's been destroyed or their souls are in the whatever. Or it's, it's like, no, no, they're dead. <laughs> they are. They are obliterated. Rita killed them quite brutally, very probably. And, uh, yeah, he failed, effectively. So, but, okay, that's kind of cool that we can go a little bit more into this kind of thing. But, so, yeah, TK, I have to come and ask you the same kind of question. What did you make of this? An intro to the film as, a, as an opening, and what do you make of these law ideas? Well, I'm, I, as far as the law goes, I couldn't really comment because I, I wasn't. I'm not that familiar with the uh, the original in the first place. But I did like the opening. Uh, I did. I did. I was still under the impression at that point that it was going to be this, you know, all out, colourful kind of explosion right. of uh, awesomeness at this point yeah. uh, in the Cenozoic era. Uh, I didn't know that thing with regards to uh, to Zardon not being a, a ranger before, but uh, no, yeah, I thought it was a nice little thing, and I thought the uh, Rita being a Green Ranger was uh, was good. Yeah, it, it was a really nice setup. I, I I like that. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Then, well, then, as you say, we we could probably argue the fact that we probably are all going to agree that you know they should maybe have made more of these scenes. I realise they were probably expensive, but it would have been nice to. But that action scene maybe out of a bit more and sacrifice a little bit of the teen stuff, maybe. Yeah. We can debate that back and forth, I guess, because I don't think there's anything that's necessarily wasted in terms of the teen storyline, especially having seen this a few times now, I can kind of appreciate what they're going for. But at the same time, yeah, you kind of do need a bit more action maybe in the first hour and a half. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the other thing I've got then down here is obviously... It's quite notable if you're watching the movie that the Rangers don't actually fully morph until three quarters of the way through the movie. It's on the 90-minute mark of a two-hour movie. So what are your thoughts on this, uh, EK? We'll come to you first. Did you think that was a wise decision, or is that kind of what's part of what you're thinking, like, oh, what is this movie? It's not what I'm used to. I, uh, I, don't get me wrong. I like some of the, the drama, but, you know, when you're an hour and a half into it, and I was looking at my watch thinking... Are they actually going to get suited up at any point? Uh, yeah, it stretches. It stretches it a little. It tests your patience. 
And uh, I understand what they were going for. I understand they were thinking, yeah, but if we get a sequel, we've at least got a decent backstory to uh, to all this lot so we can get straight on with the action. But if you're turning people yeah. off in the first one, you're not going to get that sequel. And as much as I enjoyed some of the scenes with the kids, I think uh, they could have they could have cut easily 20, 20 minutes to 30 minutes down and got into the suits quicker. And I, it kind of bugged me that even when they were in suits, they uh, they had their kind of mask faces removed for the majority, oh, yeah. just so you could see them. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I, I was worried about that actually, but I'll get into it once you finished your point. Yeah, I, I get it. Which I, I presume it's for the same kind of purposes. You know, Downey Junior. Iron Man. You need to see the actor behind the mask. Or like Sam Raimi Spider Man. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but I'm 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 trying not to mince words. Sometimes they look bloody stupid. Where, yeah, you know. When so yeah. They, yeah. they kind of do. I mean, it could have looked. They could have looked worse because this is, like, this is an idea that they did put forth. I'll try and find a picture when I'm editing. But they basically tried to do that whole. You can see the ranger through the helmet thing during the filming of the '95 movie, where they had the helmets as you see them in that movie, but the visor and the mouth plate were removed, so you could see the actor behind it. And they filmed like that for about a day till they realised it looked absolutely ridiculous and just came. <laughs> idea completely because you're right it doesn't really work but i think what maybe tempted them to try it again with this movie is that the japanese uh, series that orange has adapted into had started doing things where they could open the visors and that became adapted into the obviously the versions that we got because if you can do it in their footage we can copy it and whatever else so series like ninja storm for example springs to mind where they had a kind of mouthpiece and a visor that could literally retract and show the, the face inside the helmet but it was designed in such a way that it didn't look, you know, as jarring as these. It was literally the base plate and it was, you know, it had that Iron Man vibe almost going on. Whereas this has got so many weird jagged parts and bits and pieces that, like you say, it's, it's so form-fitted around the head in a weird way that it just kind of does look... It's jarring. It's There's no other way about it. It's like, you know, funky, it is, not in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it is like you said, Mike. It does remind me of Topher Grace in Spider-Man 3 and that's not a good reference at any point. <laughs> yeah. And I do think part of that is because, and I don't know, I have no insider knowledge of to whether or not this is the case, but it feels like at times they're trying to make it less Super Sentai and more Giver, if that makes sense to you guys. It's yeah. kind of like a mm, crystal mm. that's fully en enmeshed with them and whatever else, but that's not what Power Rangers is. So I think that's already a fundamental misunderstanding. Like I don't love the fact that they plug into the Zord's Matrix style. It's just kind of, to me, it's unnecessary. Yeah all the mythology already about like, well, when you're morph, you're connected to the morphing grid, that gives you everything you need to know. Let's just leave it at that. You don't need to start plugging them in and crap it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I also just don't love the fact that there isn't a cockpit. They all sit in their own individual pieces like Voltron and control a different part of the Megazord because I've always thought that was stupid. <laughs> like, I get it. You have to work together and that way you're forced to, but come on. What, like you're doing the legs and you're doing the arms and I'm doing Did not do that in the original? They don't do that in any of the Power Rangers series at all. Oh, right. <laughs> There's always the central cockpit with the sort of whatever three or five or whatever team number it is yeah, controlling yeah. the cockpit and doing various things from there. It's never been a question of they're all sitting in different parts of the Megazord, which they all combine. Yeah. Rangers thing. It's kind of a, it's more of a Voltron or another kind of other franchise type thing where I don't know. I just it. I, like I say I get it. The whole point is they have to be able to coordinate to such a precise level because. They need to talk to each other and they can only control that particular bit, but it just comes off a little bit weird for me, I guess, in that part. I don't hate it. I mean, at least it's something a little bit different and it makes sense with the law that's being put forward. 
Um, because I will say there is, <laughs> I'm going to sound really nerdy here, but there is something in the, I think it's either the novelization or the comic adaptation, where it gets into how Zordon and his team could basically almost never form the Megazord because it's so complicated. Like they had the battle zords, but combining into the Megazord was something that would take months, if not years of training and practice, and they could barely ever do it. And that's the whole point of like when the, the actual current team do that, it's supposed to truly be a shocking and epic moment of like, what? They have no training and they're able to coordinate so well. And that's why you have that scene of Rita just exasperatedly like, how are you doing this? Because she's not used to being able to do it so easily. But again, you cut all that out and that scene doesn't mean anything because we know that we've had 30 years of them being able to do that within like seconds of getting their powers. So it means nothing to us. It's like, oh yeah, you did that thing that you do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame, and uh, I didn't particularly love the this. I hate self-knowing jokes and the whole idea of Billy going, "Well, like a big mama zord." No, that sucks. A mega zord. Oh, good lord. No. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we get you, did you? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I sound like I'm shitting on this a lot, and I do actually really like it. But yeah, so um, what was I? What were we talking about there anyway? Yeah, yeah, the Rangers not morphing until uh, three quarters. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on that anyway, Connor? Did you? Miss a lot of that action? Um, no, because like DK, I was kind of somewhat interested in the the teenage drama. I, okay, I'll drop the teenage pun, but I, I was sort of interested in the human dynamics and the drama for most of it. Um, because when I actually yeah. think about Power Rangers, again, episodes and length is obviously completely shorter. But in reality, yeah. if you did the whole movie of them in their suits doing their stuff, that's obviously a sequel bait movie. But like you say, you have yeah. to kind of establish shit first time around like oh yeah these are people behind the mask you have to sort of buy into their stories and then you can do the sequel with them in the suit for an hour and a half or two hours kicking absolute ass um but yeah like again similar thoughts it was kind of like i was sort of checking my phone i was thinking right okay this is interesting why why is billy the only one in like for a portion of it why is billy the only why is yeah why was billy the only person that was able to move and the rest of them hadn't and yeah. like you say it's 90 minutes in half hour and i was thinking that is quite ballsy like I, I i kind of admired it because when i think power rangers it's 20 minutes they suit up they lose a fight they regroup and then they team up like they go they suit up for five minutes on a usual episode and then that's it so you don't really get that much screen time of them kicking ass in the suits so it didn't bother me yeah. as much as i thought it would have but i am on dk side in the sense of like it was kind of pushing it for me a little bit considering i knew the, the run time yeah, I will say in the defense of that, though, that once it gets to that 90-minute point, it is non-stop for the last half hour. Like, it does not it let down. Up, yeah. You, were, you yeah. know, it is wall-to-wall -wall action, and, and it doesn't stop for any real kind of emotional moments or anything within within reason. I mean, there's obviously that moment of Jason saving his father, and kind of, for mm. me at least, of like, does he know who he is? Yeah, I was, I was expecting, uh, uh, you know, I was expecting to, to suddenly all go, it's not who I am, but what I do that defines me <laughs> moment. <laughs> I kind of love that, though. I love that they left that just ambiguous enough. But the fact that when they were kind of touching on the Rangers' home lives at the end, his father is just, like, proudly displaying a newspaper of these heroes, and it's like, is he just happy and proud about them, or does he does he know? You know, I'd love to have... Yeah. That would have been a cool dynamic for the sequel of, like, your F-up of a son... But you also know he just saved the world, you know what I mean? So, anyway, <laughs> there's lots of things like that I think that would have worked a lot better in the potential sequel that we should have had and probably never will. So, yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. So, the next kind of big plot idea that I wanted to touch on then was 
the surprising thing when I first saw this in the cinema, anyway, of Billy's actual death and you know eventual resurrection. Spoiler alert, I guess. But uh, um. yeah, when when I first saw this in the cinema, I was not expecting because it's a shock shock moment anyway. The way that Rita does it, so I wasn't expecting it, and then I definitely wasn't expecting the confirmation of like, oh, he's dead, he's fully gone, mm. and. Uh, so at that point, I was like, "Wow, what's eh, what's what's happening?" And I say, "When you haven't seen it before, me, I was like, he's dead. They can't get out of this. What is there some kind of time travel mechanic or something that's going to come into play? What are they going to do?" And I genuinely love that they actually used that to enhance the character of Zordon, because, like I said, in this one, he is kind of the guy that failed and a bit of a screw up, and you need to kind of build him into the role of selfless mentor and leader. And I think the idea of Zordon going. Yeah, I could have brought myself back, but only one person can do that. And frankly, I'd rather, you know, give that gift of life to Billy and, and self-sacrifice. And I was like, oh, that is brilliant. That is purely gorgeous writing for me anyway, <laughs> you know, to, to bring these characters where you want them to be. So I was on board. <laughs> but what about you, Connor? What did you think of all that? <laughs> no, I kind of I pretty much agree with your statement completely. I, I was pretty in shocked. I was kind of. Like, I, Billy for me was entertaining. I, I quite liked RJ Sider's portrayal. It, again, it isn't any; it doesn't hold a candle to David Yost's like classic portrayal. But I really did like Billy in this movie. So when he was dead for a good yeah. ten minutes, I was I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh damn! Is is <laughs> I was thinking if the team's going to be like one person short, is a last minute Tommy going to suddenly get shoehorned into this <laughs> and replace? So I did I did know is is um he's like Adam going to turn up and be yeah, the second Black Slash Blue Ranger. I didn't know what was going on. Rangers fans, by the way, they're just names. <laughs> just like who? What are you going to? Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, yeah. These are just names. lost at this point. <laughs> Replacement Rangers, basically, for when the others wanted too much money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, real life yeah. beef. Yeah. <laughs> real life beef. Um, but but no, I was like you. I was completely not expecting it. I was just kind of glued to the screen at that point and thought, oh, is, are we going to get yeah. Brian Cranston somehow back, but like suited up yeah, and I mean... doing stuff? But but no, I mean, like you said, it suited his character, it suited his arc, and yeah, like you say he basically sacrificed his only chance of coming back physically to save the life of a human teenage boy, and it was, you know, I, I thought it was good and it fitted the movie and purpose, so it worked for me massively. Absolutely, and. I think for me, and I don't know if you guys, I have a feeling at least one of you may agree, but I don't want to get into it too far just yet. For me, I think, despite not being the leader, I think Billy was genuinely the heart of this movie and of this team. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not just the whole thing about, like, I genuinely like that they portray him being on the autism spectrum really sympathetically and without any, it's not heavy-handed, but it's not mocked or anything either. It's For me, it's played, like, at a, at a, a fantastic level of, of just where you need it to be. And I will say, just on a personal note, that I did see this movie a good few years before I was actually diagnosed myself. So I wasn't watching this with like, oh, that guy is, I can relate. But watching it now, that's very definitely a lot of like, oh, shit, man, how did they not identify these things in me earlier? Because, <laughs> you know, the uh, overly rambling obsessiveness and the not quite getting jokes and emotions and uh, definitely the OCD, like, lining up of pencils and stuff. I'm like, some of it looks goofy and ridiculous it's a goofy and ridiculous thing it's hard not to portray it that way and in actual fact i love that they weren't they weren't looking down on billy like the bullies were looked on as being jerks for picking on him for that and i love the relationship between billy and jason the way that jason's just accepting of him doesn't say anything but also doesn't yeah. molly him or look talk down to him like if there's times when he needs to focus he's like billy you wake up what are you doing so, like that friendship to me was really good but like I, said, I think billy was the one because he's the one you're kind of following from the start that is the most 
pure, I guess, for want of a better word. So I think yeah, yeah. The, the one the one with the least attitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think the, them killing him specifically was a very definite choice to get the audience <clears throat> on board, and for me at least it worked. But uh, yeah, enough from me, DK. What did you make of this whole uh, death, resurrection, and Billy as a character? <laughs> Yeah, it, it surprised me. As you said, Billy's kind of like the heart of it all. And it, it was definitely done to get, you know, the audience on side. And yeah, uh, yeah I, when it happened, I was I was kind of, oh, he's, no, they'll, they'll bring him around somehow. And then they said, no, he's dead. And I went, and I kept waiting for it, for the, you know, the inevitable resurrection. And it, it, it wasn't coming. And, you know, and I actually thought, I thought, oh, my God, they're just going to do this with, with four of them, not five. So, yeah, they that kind of worked. Uh, obviously, you know, spoilers to bring him back. But, uh, yeah, up until that point, it, uh, it, it was a definite, I'm not going to say edge of the seat moment, but uh, it was. No, it but was, I think it's. Um... To put it into other terms, I think it's, uh, yeah, unexpected, but I think it's also brave. If this was a pure kids movie, they would not have played that 10 minutes of seriousness and, and you know, he's gone. There's nothing we can do. And even the acting, I mean, when it first happens, particularly I'm thinking of Naomi Scott and her, yeah. like, even the emotional reaction to it is devastating because that's what convinced me at the time. I was like, I'm not dead. He'll just, you know, they'll, they'll give him CPR or something. And then Ian and Kimberly just break down and like, for God's sake, he's dead. I was like, Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. With regards to to Zardon, I, again, I don't know the ins and outs of the series, but uh, Cranston seemed to play him as quite abrasive. In you know, in some instances, he was a bit of an asshole. It, I, I'm guessing the Zardon in the the show wasn't actually like that. Oh, absolutely no, not. No questions answered. They literally listen to every single word he says, and that's it. There's no backlash. There's no rebellion or anything like you get with this portrayal. Yeah. So he is literally the all-wise leader, and that's it for every iteration of Power Rangers that Zordon's in, but pretty much he's the yes man, and that's it. But I mean, even even the idea like of changing this ridiculous you're in a time warp, you're a floating head, which we've all gotten used to, so I say ridiculous, but we've adjusted. But making it into a new idea of like, I just literally downloaded your consciousness into the ship's computer, and that is why you're appearing on like a video screen as this weird Star Trek Discovery style head <laughs> out of fins kind of thing. And I'm like, all right, this is a cool adaptation. And the idea of even the idea of the command center being their spaceship that was buried for years and not like just a place that they happen to have in Vasquez Rocks that nobody ever noticed or cares about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's enough from me rambling. So, yeah, so yeah, the Billy Death and Resurrection thing I think really worked probably for all of us then in that case. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that might be well, and uh, <laughs> again, I've touched on it earlier, but so we'll, we'll kind of group it all together and, and we'll call it the teen angst type thing. So I'm thinking specifically Kimberly's whole cyber bullying plot and the guilt she feels about this whole mm. kind of thing <clears throat> doesn't work as well. And also, as a kind of related thing to that without wanting to, you know, claim that they're the same obviously we have trini feeling a bit like an outsider and we know we eventually find out it's because she obviously is you know gay and can't really accept that and her parents wanted to be something she isn't you also have zach who seems like he's dealing with the inevitable loss of his mother and for caring for her and stuff so yeah for me it just seems weird that a lot of these and obviously like i said billy you have the fact that he's on the autism spectrum and Jason, to an extent, you have like, oh, I was the great football star, but I was a lot of pressure, and now I'm just considered to be a screw up and whatever. So for me, like I said, the only one that really horribly jars and stands out is the Kimberly thing, where it's just like, 
these, these are all legitimate problems that I can get on board with and understand. But then the Kimberly thing creeps up and you're like, what, what, what is that? What is that? Problem? You know what I mean? Like, they handle it well mm. enough, but it just feels like if I was Jason in that moment when she's like, I did a horrible thing and I feel guilty about it, I'd be like, oh, boo hoo, bigger problems right now. <laughs> you know, there are bigger issues to worry about than the nude photo you sent. Get over it. <laughs> but whatever. So yeah, what about you, DK? What did you think of all of these teen angsty kind of plots? Uh, I like some of them. I, I, I wasn't keen on uh, the Trini revelation. I think they were just kind of playing lip service to creating an LGBT yeah. character, and they didn't really. Not explore it. I mean, I don't want to see. You know, I want to. I don't want him to do a deep dive. But I think just to throw away a line didn't really do it justice. <laughs> Be careful with where you words. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, with regards to Kimberly, I think they were just trying to. Again, this is I'm picking up as a complete novice. But the Kimberly in the TV series, every time I saw her, she seemed like a goody two shoes, and I think they were trying to get an edgy angle on this one. That's why you know they cut to that scene where she just stood there on the really dull grey cliffs of Iceland uh, listening to thrash metal. <laughs> yeah. That, that's yeah. definitely reminiscent that's definitely reminiscent of Kimberly from Marty Morphin. <laughs> that's a hundred percent her. Kimberly from Mighty Morphin actually was just so much your typical nineties Valley girl. She was basically Cher yeah. from Clueless. She was a superhero. So it's uh, <laughs> very weird. Um, see, I, I, I anyway. thought I thought Jason, Billy, I thought they were handled well. I don't think Trini and Zach were given much to do. And other than the, the relationship with his mother, he, mm. it was kind of a, a non-entity for me. Yeah, I kind of I, I can see what you mean with that. It was another of those things where I think they probably would have developed it more into equals and stuff. And I did appreciate that we had a few moments between Zach and Trini that were hinting towards what would have presumably been a deep friendship, but obviously I assume it wouldn't have been a relationship or maybe it would. We don't really know because we don't get any real exploration, as you said. Of um, and I, Yeah, I think this is what kind of threw me because it was kind of hinting that there was something there between them. And then this line yeah. came from Trini out of the blue. And then everything was just forgotten about. It, it, it's kind of, they just, they just went on. I do uh, identify with what you told me before, which is you said, oh, this this Power Rangers is just like Breakfast Club with Zords. And I do get that, definitely, from <laughs> yeah. uh, from the opening detention right down to where they're all sat around the fire. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's. I do think it's, it's, it's difficult to make such characters interesting without making them seem like, you know, specific kind of archetypes. And I do think with regards to Jason, Billy, and uh, Kimberly, Kimberly could have been handled a little better, but they, they did do a, a good job. But as I say, when it came to, to Trini and uh, Zach, I think, yeah, maybe, <clears throat> again, it was something to look at down the road in the sequel. But as it stands, it's they, they, they kind of, they're almost like paper cutouts compared to the other three. I think it's one of those things that when you look at any movie, it's difficult to write plots for five characters. For anything, I, but, that, but that is kind of how I felt with Zach and Trini. It, for, it, for me, yeah. it could, literally could have been the Billy, Jason and Kimberly movie. I would have been okay with it because those three out of the five I thought were well handled and right, Kimberly to an extent could have been better. But, you know, I was quite on board with these three characters. And then Zach and Trini literally just turn up at the dig site and they're like, oh, yeah, we're here. We're like, eh? like, where'd you I totally agree with you. I, I, just... I think they tried their best with Trini because there's a couple of really nice moments with mm. her clearly struggling with her family. Um, but they play one yeah. of the relief that for me is, is 
ill-timed and really poorly judged when she first has her powers and then she basically tells her parents the truth which is quite a, a raw moment and you just get the joke about like oh pee in that cup you're on drugs whatever and i'm like oh Ew, yeah, I mean, yeah. And everything but it's badly timed do you know what i mean but um and then also more importantly i think you get the scene where rita specifically goes after trini um, and says, you know, I killed a Yellow Ranger before. I'm going to be willing to do it again, or you can join with me. And for me, at least, again, watching the film, I wasn't quite sure if Trini had, like, betrayed them at first. And was like, oh, I'm leading you to where she told you told me to take you. And Because I've seen that trope done a few times where they would get there, and then Trini would turn around and be like, ha, you fools, it was me the whole time. And So I was kind of relieved they didn't. I, but I, think- I had that, obviously, having watched it today, I... That after that Rita scene, I had that influence. I was thinking, oh, is she just going to be Rita instead, or had Trini fallen to the dark side? Like I did have that thought in my head watching it earlier. Yeah, yeah. I think that's deliberate. I think you are supposed to be like, hang on, because mm. she is kind of like the the outcast, I suppose, for want of a better word, and, and a bit reductive. But yeah, so I think there there is stuff that was done there with Trini. But I fully agree with you, DK, that the whole dealing with her actually being LGBTQ was very much lip service and I applaud them for doing it because it was the first time and it is an attempt at this in a big budget movie and everything but it's really it embarrasses this moment when you watch not that you would have but when you watch the current TV series which actually genuinely played that moment fully of like I mean you know the the Green Ranger is competitive with this woman on her sports team realises it's not actually that that she's feeling she's in love with her you know comes out to her parents the other Rangers and then starts dating this girl and Throughout the rest of the series, she's like holding hands with her and doing things that, I mean, it's not full on anything because it's a kid show, but things that you wouldn't expect that you would only ever see between like a man and a woman and in these kinds of shows. And I'm like, dang, this is surprisingly, you know, intensely forward thinking for a franchise. Pro- progressive. Yeah, progressive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, there's always going to be some people that complain. Cause I think even one of the people in the audience interaction thing says that he thinks one of the things that hurt this film was you are going to always get that subset of, you know, let's be honest, probably conservative people who were like, oh, a gear ranger, an autistic ranger, I just want to see rangers. You know, just really, mm. you know, any yes. kind of diversity. Not trying to shove politics down our throat. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, it's not. It's just other people exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no political angle to it whatsoever. It was just like, there are various different types of people, and in any group of five teenagers, chances are you're going to have one that isn't fully, you know, heterosexual cis and one that is you know in some way a little bit different maybe you know but uh, yeah anyway <laughs> so yeah I mean I, I don't make peace with that idea but I'm with you guys with Zach like I said I didn't I never thought even when watching the movie like what is his arc supposed to be is he is he angry at having to look after his mum is he sad because she's dying and the only scene that he gets is where he joyrides the Mastodon Zord and I hate that scene because it's absolute nonsense <laughs> it's just it comes out of nowhere and just doesn't achieve anything other than make Zach look like a complete dick who should have been thrown off. The yeah, screen, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. You guys agree? With, what did you think of that scene in particular? Am I misreading that? Or <laughs> no, I, I'm. I'm pretty much with you on that one. I just thought, okay, this is just embarrassing now. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, the point? Yeah. Um, I'll just quickly go through some things because I wanted to note for the audience that there are a lot of tropes in here that I picked up on and DK has already mentioned, you know, one of them, which is obvious, which is like I said, when I was trying to sell the movie, I guess to you, I was like, don't expect full color Japanese fighting. This is the breakfast club with a big robot fight at the end. And I think you can see the influence there, as you said, whether it be the fact that they all meet in detention or his dad saying, you know, oh, you're going to detention with all these others, criminals and weirdos and freaks and 
you know, even down to, as I, I believe I texted you after I was watching the movie where I was like, it always grates on me that they do this trope. And they're not the only ones that do it. But this idea that like a teenage girl that's going through an identity crisis can give herself a salon level haircut <laughs> craft in two minutes in a school bathroom. And I'm like, no, she'd come out of there looking like a disgrace. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, woo, look at you. It would be like, Kimberly, what have you done? Get to a hairdresser's. <laughs> you know, you look like the weird, dog rats right now. <laughs> freaking weird Barbie, but weird Kimberly. You're the, you're the weird Kimberly in this freaking Rangers universe. So I, I get a lot of those tropes were like, I get it, but I don't love it. But um, there's also things like that surprised me when I, because I don't remember them doing it. And then I rewatched it and was like, oh, yeah, they do the Spider-Man thing of like when they have their power cons, they suddenly are super strong. And then Jason even looks in the mirror and he's like, all of a sudden I'm ripped. And I'm like, glad I didn't remember that because what are you doing? <laughs> what is this? <clears throat> it's also got nothing to do with any of the law. Like the power coins don't turn you into superheroes. <laughs> like that no. part. And nothing was done with that. It was like you suddenly have super strength and abilities without even morphing, and nobody's addressing this. And then Zordon's just given it. You've got to have your armor to fight. Well, they really don't. They're obviously capable <laughs> of amazing things. But yeah, <laughs> whatever. So yeah, what did you guys think of all of that? The kind of like exploring your powers, even though they're not that kind of superhero type scenes. I'll let you go first, Okay, okay. I, I was just okay. You say with the coins, I was just kind of baffed. I thought the coins were just actually gonna do stuff, like you said. There's no like suit up first, then they embrace who they are. They literally, like you say, wake up, <laughs> look in the mirror. Oh, look, I'm ripped. Oh, I've now ripped my sink in half. Oh, the bully goes up to Billy, he's being all mean, he knocks himself out, and Billy's just kind of standing there being on me, and I can beat him up, kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, they literally did copy. They copied those scenes, copied and pasted them for the minute. It does seem that way. It does absolutely, and it's it's you know it's a disservice. But anyway, I will say in mm. terms of like things that they should have done, that's another thing that bugged me is that you get the implication that the power coins are transforming devices, and they're not. There are actually morphers that were made for this film. You can buy them as a toy, and they have a certain functionality. They're not shown in the movie at all. <laughs> Just like oh, saving stuff oh, for this. That's good. Stuff like, good marketing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or even down to the fact that, like, they interviewed somebody and they were like, oh, there's a reason why the only ranger that gets their weapon is basically he gets the power sword, as you see, like, extend out of him and you can see during that fight. And then even, you know, gives it back and Zordon says, you keep it, you've earned it. No, I'll be back for it. And I'm like, why didn't they all get their weapons? And this yeah, was like, well, they will eventually. They'll come into it as we go into these movies. And I'm like, don't just assume you're going to get there, dude. There's five of them. Give all of them weapons, you know? But, uh, yeah. Poor decisions, I think, in that regard. I think we're going to hit that a few times, though, is like, don't just be overconfident that you're going to get a sequel to do the things you should have done the first time. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else that I've got. Just, it was nice for me as a fan to hear about the morphing grid, and that links everything together in the kind of Power Rangers universe, where you can say, it's another reality, whatever. <laughs> like you guys, I thought it was a long time until they introduced Trini and Zach, and they didn't really do much with them. Um, Still confused as to uh, the coins. How do these coins work? Because they all found them in this kind of like this 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 wall and the, <laughs> they've got them for a bit. They get wrecked, uh, wrecked, as you say, and then what? Do they just leave them in the bottom of a drawer? Is it in one of those, <laughs> you know, where they you just put all your shit and if anybody else finds them, do they be, become super? I don't get it. No, that's exactly what I was saying mm. to you is that the power coins do, like... It, you know, traditionally they do bond with the ranger in particular who they're, you know, bonded to. So 
it wouldn't be like anybody could use it. But like I said, the key thing they left out is that you're supposed to use a morpher. You don't just hold a coin and yeah. that's power source. Yeah. You morph but using a morpher. Like the coin goes into a morpher. You then press a lever or do whatever motion or whatever. See your morphing hole. And that is how yeah. you... Not just like oh, okay. let's go, you know. They do, they do their they do yeah. the Deadpool superhero pose. Shout out what animal they represent, and then yeah, Tyrannosaurus, <laughs> and then they move. Yeah, like I say, the coins yeah. just melting the surface of the school canteen, just getting really hot all of a sudden. And oh look, this is an unusual object. I mean, that isn't Power Rangers whatsoever. And then the Not coins just all, kind no. of disappear when they suit up. That's just I was I was lost with the coins. Yeah. I forgot where they were. Even when they morph, there was a chance to have a really cool morphing sequence, and it is cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where are you morphing from? Is it because you're touching this morphing grid bonfire thing or whatever that you've got <laughs> going on in here? It's like, what, what is it? What are you doing? And I said, that's what mm. you were. was one scene of Zordon saying, yes, your power coins are linked to you. They are the source of your powers. In order to transform into your armor, you need to use these power morphers. And that would even give you a chance to do the thing of, like, it's morphing time. Press the lever. Yeah working oh crumbs it's not working why isn't it working it should work which would be a lot more effective than just like oh am i doing it is it coming oh like they're straight in for a shit anyway i don't know if um what else am i gonna touch on oh yeah we haven't really touched on rita yet uh plot wise i'm not gonna get into the acting just yet but what did you guys make of rita in terms of the overall plot which is a bit basic you know just get this mcguffin and rule the world. But I will say that at least there's a few incidences of semi-effective like younger aimed horror that you get from Rita that I wasn't expecting mm. in, between, in between Elizabeth Banks having lunch, breakfast and dinner by eating the scenery. But still... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, think just Rita in general then in the movie, uh, Connor? Um, I, I didn't care too much but if, apart from the whole her being a former ranger thing and oh... It's Rita, but not as I remember her. I, yeah. I liked her, but then she just started. She was basically like, it reminded me of a classic Cyberman. She just was addicted to gold. And I was thinking gold was her weakness, <laughs> but then, no, oh, no, literally, it's gold, ah, so she needs the gold. Um, yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. But Elizabeth Banks, like, he's literally saying eating scenery and addicted to gold. That's, that's not her from my memory whatsoever. <laughs> Um, no, it's really not. I mean, she's, no. she's doing something, bless her. She's going for it. You've got to give her credit for that. She's not half assing yeah. it. But no, yeah. no, she was, <laughs> it was what she was given. But I mean, it just isn't, it, it's not making me care. It's just making me like scratch my head and wonder and baffle about what or how they came to these decisions a little bit. It's just, yeah, I want to get into yeah. the mind of these writers sometimes. Like, I really do. It's, it's weirdly for me, it is like a tale of, of two halves, not to be a cliche, but for me, it's like. It can be really sinister and effective, and that opening scene of like her taking on the Rangers, or the scene of her, you know, awaking and she's like a mummified corpse almost at that point, or attacking mm. the guy's gold teeth, or the specific kinds of attacks on the jewelers are all for me like quite effective horror. But then, like I said, you also get moments where they seem to have put the burden on Elizabeth Banks of like, okay, we're going to give you as many recognizable things from the cheesiness of the TV show that we can, so that you get Elizabeth Banks shouting, "Make my monster grow." No reason other than the fact that we needed that line in there to, re to remind us. Yeah. Easter egg, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or oh, like I said, just playing it way too over the top. But um, yeah, I I'm going to touch on something else. But first of all, what did you make of Rita and her overall plot and just the general Elizabeth Banks of it all? <laughs> it's 
it's funny because Connor mentioned Cyberman, but she gave me the vibes of the resurrected John Sim Master in the uh, the (laughs) world. (laughs) But instead of like eating all the food, she's just eating all the freaking scenery. She's uh, (laughs) literally the gold props. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I don't know. I was really looking forward to seeing her on screen, and then when she came on, it was kind of like, really, this is this is what you're going with. Uh, it, It didn't really land for me. And I thought, oh, it's Elizabeth Banks. This is going to be like, you know, Spinal Tap turned up to 11. And I I just thought, no, this... No, it's like like she's trying to out-camp her own Hunger Games character, really. Exactly. It didn't... She's trying to out-camp her character in bloody Modern Family. Uh, Yeah, she... she, she just just didn't work for me. I I, I really wanted to like her as as a character, you know, not root for her. But yeah. yeah, it just whenever it got to her, I just thought, oh god, we've got another scene with this crap. Uh, and it's, it's it's unfair; it's doing her a disservice. But I think she's like Trini and Zach; she was giving very little compared to the others. Yeah, yeah. I don't think even yeah. like it was that she was given. I think it's that she didn't know how to play it. Because like I said, there's times when they want her to be like, oh shit, this is serious. Like when she kills Billy. That is a like, oh crap, this Rita chick is serious. But then, like I said, in practically the next scene, you've also got her going, ooh, let me eat this human donut that I have never seen. Yeah. Ooh, this is nice. Yes, <laughs> The comic relief, or is she the serious threat? But she can't be both. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it, it, at this point, where she's, you know, where she's more gaining her powers, and that when she faces off against the Rangers the first time in that. Uh, you know, on the dock, it all felt very Flash TV movie for me. And I'm I'm talking, I'm not talking Grant Gustin Flash. I'm talking, oh. about, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. John Wesley. It, John Wesley <laughs> ship, yeah, that's it. And, it, and I just thought, it, it was giving me those vibes. And at that point, it was just like, this is not, for the budget, what you expect, I thought, this is not mm. good. Well, it's not like anybody else is playing it that way. And I've said that before, like when I've talked about this film to people, I've been like, it seems like almost everybody has been told we're not doing what you think we're going to play it seriously, except Elizabeth Banks and Bill Hader have been told just do the Power Rangers thing. And yeah, are just like, oh, okay. and, and it jars because everybody else is playing it straight. And they're just like, let's go over the top because we are in a Power Rangers film. And yeah, you can't do that. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, Tonally, it's all over the place because at the start, where you know uh, Jason is in the car crash and it cuts to the title and it just says Power Rangers, <laughs> you almost get the impression that the producers are embarrassed that this is a Power Rangers thing, so they're trying to a bit of that yeah, so trying to move away from it's it's tonally it's very odd. It 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 just seems to go one direction and then the other. Yeah. Definitely. And this is a question I wanted to address to you, Connor, related to that. And it's the last thing I'll see about the plot because we've been on it a while, which is how did the way that they adapted Rita's particular henchmen, the the putties and Goldark, because they're completely different again to the TV series. That's putting it mildly. That's putting it mildly. I like the way they kind of adapted that into being it's just like she's bringing up bits of the road and whatnot. Things and, and you know it's it's bits of the scenery that are melding together into a thing, but I can buy it. That makes sense. Mm. I do not think they did mm. with Goldar. Goldar is not yeah. a being made no. out of gold. The monkey I'm thing. Sorry, that just no. <laughs> yeah, got, the the parties. I like the parties. I kind of apart from the CGI budget. Like, I, yeah, I prefer the design of them as opposed to like goons in like 
funny costumes. But yeah. then <laughs> nostalgic, you know, they, that's they what like, the putties are. But but then, yeah. the, but then Goldar, like a literal gold, <laughs> a golden giant CGI thing. That's not Goldar at all. Like, like I was just, I was repulsed. No personality either. He doesn't speak was, or anything. He's just there. no. <laughs> he's just a blob. He's just a big, tall, giant blob that's there to fight like the Megazord at the end. And it's just like, oh, there's no character. There's no nothing. It's Goldar. I, I preferred always over Rita. But I was just, I was, I was despite. I was repulsed by Goldar in this. I just went, really. Is that actually it for Goldar? <laughs> I, I have, I've seen Goldar in the series, and I thought that was a really cool design. So when, yeah. when she mentioned, I'm bringing Goldar, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. But he ends up looking like, <laughs> I don't know if either of you've played Death Stranding. He looks like an end-of-level boss from Death Stranding. <laughs> I haven't, but I know exactly what you mean, because it did come off that way. It did come off as like this is, as like, like I said, it's an end-of-level boss in a video game. So he's got no personality. Yeah. He's basically just standing there grunting at you. So, not not to quote Hideo Kojima, but it is kind of like a Japanese Hideo Kojima type creation. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous. It's uh, it, it doesn't work for Goldar for me. And no, then you get the idea, which again I don't love the idea of like the Megazord can combine, but what it actually does is take on the appearance of the most powerful thing. So it actually just makes itself into a copy of this crap Goldar, and I'm like, oh. Why? <laughs> you know, and uh, it's something we'll get into when it comes to the special effects and stuff. But I hate that they did the Transformers thing when it comes to the Megazord, whereby they said that yeah, full transformation sequence of the five Zords they do transform, but it's such a complex transformation that you literally couldn't reproduce it with the toys. So they had to, when it came to like releasing the merch from the movie, they had to release two Megazords, which is one that was screen accurate that didn't transform, and then one like set of the five individual dinosaurs that could combine, but looked nothing like it does in the film. So it was like, why? These are such baffling decisions. You've got 30 years worth of like constant Zords that can combine and look perfectly fine. And yeah, this is this is not a Zord that I own because it's just to me, it just looks like a mess. <laughs> you can't see necessarily how it does connect in any real way on the on the one on screen anyway. It's just kind of, you get a vague sense, but then it just seems like all overlaps together and it's a mess. And yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what do you guys make of that then, the Megazord? Because you guys don't have a connection to Megazords and Zords like I presumably do. So are you bothered by it? You, you've pretty much summed it up for me when you said it's like the Bay Transformers. Uh, that's tell, pretty much told me everything I need to know. Yeah. They do that as well. They, the Bay Formers, they do the whole, like, the trans, the transformation is so complex and so involved that the toys don't do it that way. They just do something approximating it. And it's like, well, then why do it? <laughs> Your whole gimmick is that you transform. Don't make it so complicated that you can't transform. <laughs> anyway. I don't love the Zord designs anyway, because they did that stupid thing where they tried to justify it as the fact that they are based on dinosaurs, but initially they're aliens, so they're a mastodon and a triceratops that have, like, insect legs. Just, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just awful designs. <laughs> I'll, I'll refuse it to call it the Megazord. Like, to quote Billy at the end, I'll call it the Algebra, because that isn't a true Megazord. He just calls it the Algebra. <laughs> The dance, the, the dance I mean, he does is the algebra. No. I don't hate it in terms of like the actual fight with Goldar, I think looks really good, especially for especially when you compare it to the CGI in the 95 movie, for example. Like, yeah, you've done some mm. things, it's just a shame that it wasn't a better designed piece that we can see doing this fighting because the actual fight itself is pretty badass, you know. I like it, but, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I did find that funny when, uh, obviously, it's you know, it's not got the camp factor of the TV series. And it's ultra serious, and uh, Zordon's explaining 
you know, what's going on, that the world's going to end and they need to defeat this, ev you know, this evil entity. And they're like, well, who is it? She's called Rita. And I just... No, no, not just not just Rita, they adapted the full ridiculous name. So he actually says she's called Rita Repulsa, at which point you're like, you recruited somebody for your hero team whose surname was Repulsa? How dumb are you? <laughs> <laughs> if only you had some sign she was going to betray you. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, <laughs> that, that always jarred with me. That was so dumb. Anyway, yeah, yeah, as you said as well, it's like Zordon and these other weird alien beings and Rita. Yeah, we've touched on a little bit of the acting type stuff, but I'm curious about some of it because we've talked a little bit about the way Cranston played Zordon, so we can kind of, you know, we can knock that on the head. We've talked about Elizabeth Banks and her poor choices, so we can ignore that for now. Um, a little bit about them, but I will throw it open to you both and say... The five rangers in particular, we'll try and deal with them together if we can. What did you make of the acting involved there, Connor? Um, and we kind of have talked about some of the acting, but, you know, just to, to round up our thoughts. I think once you actually see them suit up and it's sort of all action balls to the wall, they don't slow down and everything. I kind of got used to their dynamic by the time everything wraps up. But then you can say that about a lot of the episodes. Like you get established to the team and how they operate if it was your first episode, and then it all kind of ends. And that's unfortunately like I was attached to them individually as characters, but then the actual team dynamic and apart from the Zord transformations, which we've kind of been over already, like I couldn't get unless we had another V, I could have then seen more of them in the suit and actually got this team. But because I like the individuals, but as the team, you, by the time you're looking at them, the movie's about to end. So I, I like them, but I'm not yeah. crazy about them. But then just from the design point of view, I mean, I can, again, knowing that it isn't aiming for kids and it's over here, it's age 12 and stuff. I, I don't think yeah. these designs look particularly like, I get marketable perhaps for a younger audience, but even for like adult collectors and stuff. But like, they don't come across as like a particularly visually like appealing for younger. Like I imagine some parents would have looked at it. And I, even I, when they first suited up in the dark, cool Zack Snyder type colour palette. I was like, whoa, these don't look like very kid-friendly. Well, not kid-friendly, but like it just, it didn't look for a younger audience. I just thought this is really wacky and edgy and old, like alternative, it felt like. It didn't feel like oh, this is a product that we're trying to sell to all, like, all collectors of all ages. It felt like, oh no, if you want, if you're fed up of, you know, the Power Rangers we all know and love from a design point of view, well, look at this. This is trying to, us trying to be somewhat edgy and attitude but in reinvented and it just i wasn't i don't know it's just the design i like it but i was kind of like oh god <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah I, I think it's over designed and that's the problem because like i said it grows yeah. on you and this i like like i like the fact that there is actually a representation of the morphin grid glowing within the central diamond i think that's a really cool touch and it's you know it's, it didn't have to do but it probably would have cost a small fortune anyway other than just having like blank white to have that there, and I think it looks really cool. Like that part, I enjoy. But like you said, it's also there's so much overcomplication to it, and the fact that it looks like a diver suit almost instead of a ranger suit. And then I really do miss the clear like in the original Mighty Morphin suits, it's quite obvious from their helmets which dinosaur they are, and I just don't get that from these at all. <laughs> you know, you, you no. cannot tell that top of the blue was supposed to be a triceratops if it indeed is or whatever. You know, so it's like uh, I miss that. You know, I miss that touch. Yeah. Not the worst designed kind of costumes, and they do like I said, they, they grow on you, and they look suitably Power Rangers enough. And uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's too, there's too much for the money. Really... Just, anyway. just different, just different. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about the acting, though. So as you said, you, you would probably, I'd probably agree with you. I think individually they do fantastic work. 
and they do really work well together when they have to during the dramatic moments like Billy's death and stuff. And in terms of working as a heroic team, like you said, there's just too little of it. And when there is, yeah. because they have the choice to not have them in a cockpit together, they're not really even interacting during that moment when they're supposed to be. It's kind of like they're just shouting at each other through different robot limbs, which like I said is a weird choice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What about you, DK? What did you think of the acting from the five four guys? I thought uh, the the main three, especially. I mean, uh, the ones that played uh, Trini and and Zach, they they were decent for what they were given, but they weren't given that much. Uh, I think they all put in really good performances. That's one of the things that actually, you know, I kind of latched onto. They mm. were all kind of likable. Uh, whether you know whether it's a form of Stockholm syndrome by the end, as Connor were alluding to, uh, it's mm. yeah. I, I'm wondering if Dacre Montgomery's got it written into his contract that no matter which role he plays, they've got to have a really shocking haircut. Uh, you know, in Stranger Things, <laughs> a curly mullet, and this, and he looks like some kind of mannequin. Uh, <laughs> but acting wise, yeah, I thought they were they were all fairly decent. There were there were a couple of times where you you kind of got the vibe that they were trying to come across as more edgy than they had any right to be. But uh, yeah, I thought, and, and you know, I thought they had a, a fairly decent chemistry together. There was never a point where I just thought, oh, come on, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be acting like that. And at, at the end of the day, that's all you need really, especially on something like this. Yeah. I think that is the strength of the movie is the casting because you, like I said, like I was touching on in the behind the scenes, just look at everything that these actors have gone on to do since, um, you know, and they hadn't done any of that before they were cast in Power Rangers. So whoever was the casting director genuinely did pick great people for the job. And I think sometimes even during the more difficult stuff, it's the acting that sells you on it. Like I said, Jason as a character shouldn't necessarily work. He's just kind of like, Oh, it's so tough being a, you know, that's loved by everyone. And yet, Jacob Montgomery is a good enough actor that you kind of feel that sadness and that kind of the melancholy and you know his you know disappointment with his father thing going on and everything. And I said Kimberly's plot is terrible, but Naomi Scott, I believe, is genuinely upset and, and care one way or the other. And like you said, like Ludie Lane and Becky G get nothing to do, but what they do get is convincing and sells you enough on them that you're like, I like these actors. But I mean, you know, in fairness. I mean, Becky G didn't really have to say much. I could have just sat there and watched her just swan around for an hour and a half, and I'd have been happy. <laughs> and I could have done the same with Naomi Scott. And Elizabeth Banks is sitting there going, look at me in this ridiculous <laughs> outfit and nobody's interested. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think uh, RJ Kyler special satellite had the hardest job because, like I said, towing that line could have went so very wrong in so many offensive levels. And uh, for me, at least, like I said, as somebody who who is on the spectrum, I think he actually played it really well. I know a lot of people that would complain that, you know, you're going to play that, you've got to actually be on the spectrum and you've got to have that as part of you. But for me, I don't necessarily feel that way. And I feel like at least there was some effort put in by the writers or by RJ to, you know, examine what that's like and to live that without being a cliche or without being over the top or anything. So that's probably one of my favourite parts of the movie was the way that was handled. Um yeah, anyway, so uh, there's only two people we haven't touched on in the acting, and that is, first of all, uh, Pam's first boyfriend from the American office, who has now left Pam and is Jason's dad. Uh, what did you make of David Denman in the movie? <laughs> I thought he was good for what he had. You know, but, uh, yeah. What's, his, what's <laughs> his name? It's Andy in the office. His name's Andy, isn't it, in the office? His what's character. His name? The warehouse I'm guy who's in. Um, yeah. Andy, I don't think. No. Roy, it's Roy. 
I've, of course, yeah, they mean Roy. I don't know where I got Andy from. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't get past um, Roy from the office. I don't like him. Uh, he was no. He was. He was fine as Jason's dad, father role. But I just sort of looked at his face and thought, oh, "You're you're meant to be that that parent that we don't like, or you're meant to be that yeah. figure that we." I get why I'm rebelling. <laughs> There is a bit of that when you've had a role like that, and I feel bad because he does the best he could. Then he gets nothing to do, and there's a couple of scenes that really impressed me with him. But yeah, overall, you're just thinking, oh, leave Pam. I want Jim to be with him. <laughs> what about you, JK? Yeah, he didn't really stand out for me one way or the other. So, I mean, you know, it was a passable job. And I've given my thoughts on the last one, but I'm interested to know what you guys think of Bill Hader as, as Alpha 5. <sighs> <laughs> Right, I, I, I. That's all he says. He doesn't do more than three I, I, I's, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rangers. Yeah. And can I also say I've criticised a lot of the designs. This is the worst adaptation of a design in the movie. Like, Abs- what the? F- I was horrified. That- I mean, Rita, Rita Repulsa was scary in her horror bits. I genuinely was terrified. I didn't know what I was looking at. <laughs> what was I even looking at? <laughs> even worse than Golda, I think. Even worse than Golda. What is he? What even are you? Yeah, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, like I said, aside from the design, Hader just plays it so the laughs. And I get he's a comedian, but he didn't need to go so cheesy. You know what I mean? It's just, and it, it I, did, I just didn't they... think he was that funny. Like, and Bill Hader, I quite like. I yeah, I think he's great. But I just I didn't find none of the jokes or lines any any impact. There was no impact. There was no ha ha. Well, that was funny. I just wanted to hear I I I I I, and he only said it twice. <laughs> so I was massively let down. <laughs> Fair enough. And what about you? What did you make of Bill Hader's performance as the terrifying robot? <laughs> <sighs> It's it. Uh, it's just Bill Hader with a mask, and that's <laughs> that's all I can say, really. It, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, the next thing we should touch on is probably the direction, and again, we've touched on some of it. Um, I will say the director of this movie was Dean Israelite. I, I don't. I'm not familiar with him, but okay. Um, yeah, we've touched on the idea of the faceplate thing. You know, where you get why your director does that, but was it wise or was it not? weird kind of jarring car crash that starts the movie, along with all of the kind of breakfast club, young adult Dutch angle type stuff. These are all of my notes, and you've touched on them, and you guys brought them up first, so I'm just going over them again. The darker filter that's not the full-color splashy TV show. We've talked about that in depth as well. I don't even, you know, I didn't know you were good at but I've written this down. Um, yeah, I, I like the shots of, like, the coins reflecting the color onto their faces when that happens, because it's nice to have a splash of color in between those dark quarry scenes and shit. <laughs> It was needed. In my opinion, it was very needed. <laughs> yeah, and I will say there are some cool moments of like random effects, like when they go through the what, what would you call it, like the river, the water, whatever, and it like the gravity turns around because that's like the entrance to the command center. I thought that scene was actually a really well done effect and like really cool. I would have would have liked to see more of that and see it a little bit better, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I felt like they they kind of drew that scene out a little too much for me. It was just like, okay, we get it. You know, fair enough. Well, they wanted to use their uh, abyss effect it borrowed from James Cameron, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes, yeah. as I say, I do like the way that the Rita Nightmare few uh, scenes and the future flashes and stuff are shown, but they're kind of undercut by Elizabeth Banks in general. Um, the attempts to morph, I, I really liked the way that it spins around in a circle and gets more intense, but like I said it would have been better with a morpher. <laughs> I like all the training scenes. I will say I, I, I thought the scenes of them training against the 
holographic footies and stuff were mostly well done. And even though it is, again, a cliche, I do like the Chekhov's gun of, like, they show you them a move, doing a move in training that they then use with Megazord to, like, you know, judo, brush up behind your back, whatever kind of move. I was like, all right, fair enough. At least, you know, there's giving it relevance, I suppose. Um, I did notice as well, Easter egg for Power Rangers fans, that when they're being trained to fight the footies, they're told to aim for the center mass, which I was like, nah, I get what you did there. Because, like, in the second season, you had to aim for Zed that was on their chest because they were Lord Zed putties because too many kids were hitting each other in the head. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. it's genuinely true, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's not really much else. Like, oh, that was one scene. Again, one scene that I wish they'd removed, even though they probably thought it was hilarious is when... I always don't like Zach doing that weird Mastodon joyride. And then when he almost hits a car and it's full of nuns, that is full-on Adam West yeah. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me. But yeah, I like all the fighting and I like Billy's slow-mo kind of fights and moments and everything. And that's really all I can say. Except I'm gonna talk over to you guys and say, do you have any other notes on the direction of this movie? Go on, just Connor. a see just just a scene that I literally it came to my head. One thing I didn't like. I just didn't like Rita's fate of her getting slapped into space and then her getting well, Star Lord or Yon dude, essentially. <laughs> Just looking well, at the planet, turning into eyes. This is the weird thing about that is he's not even dead. That's the weird thing. If you remember the TV series, all they did was they're trying to come up with an imaginative way to get her to the moon where she can build her moon palace for the sequel. All that happened there was... Oh, like, of course. I just slapped her to the moon. And I was like, oh, you guys. Slap her to... It's just really a slap. It's just, I don't know. I thought it was cool and cheesy. But when I just saw her off-world, I, you literally put that idea in my head. But I just thought, oh. Same year as Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, they liked the whole freak person getting frozen in space type effect. But then she does blink as she's yeah. turning to ice. But, no, she yeah, she looks at totally... as, as she turns, she sees the moon and she gives a little smile like ha ha. And I'm like, oh, okay, we get it, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they have confirmed that was basically what was happening there. Was Rita was heading to the moon because yay. <laughs> anyway. Typical. Anyway, so what about you, uh, DK? Any other notes on direction? Well, uh, I remember Dean Israelite. He did. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. That found footage time travel project almanac. I have not, no, but is it, is it's, it good? It's not bad. It's, you know, it doesn't set the world on fire, but it's an interesting little, you know, hour and a half. Mm. And I think, but at least with that, there was some kind of tension, and I didn't feel that tension through this. I don't know oh, if it was too overlong. I don't know if he was concentrating too much on, you know, the, the, the teen angst kind of angle, but it just, mm. it didn't grip me like that, that previous work. And, um, what really annoyed me, and this could be, you know, completely my own fault, not being into into the show and stuff, but with the tone being different, my first thought was, oh, because it's more adult, we're going to get some seriously kick-ass kung fu in this. Oh, right. <laughs> there wasn't any. I was expecting, you know, some, some really good fight, especially when they started doing the training, which felt very, I, d I don't know, remake, Mortal Kombat remake from a couple of years ago. And uh, mm. well, yeah. Lin is in that, so. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just kind of there, there seemed to be kind of so many missed opportunities for, for things that they could have put into this, in my opinion, anyway, that could have raised the bar somewhat. But it's like they were all afraid to. I, I don't, I don't really get it. And, and, and I don't get his, I don't get his direction in this. 
I, I like some of the things that he did. I love the the little the scene where the 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 megazords coming out of the the lava below. I like that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it was was passable. I don't like the uh, as Connor's you know mentioned before the Zack Snyderish of some of it. I don't know if he's if he watched Dawn of Justice and thought, oh shit, I've got to do that. Uh, mm, mm. But that's, I, that's, I don't think that. I think if anything, he's probably watched Chronicle because that is the whole like teen angsty, but they've got superpowers kind of thing. So it feels like it's a cut and paste of that because that is like the young adults who were teens but were superheroes, blah blah blah. But, um, yeah, I'm just going with this. You know, oh, it's an action scene. Oh, better slow it down. It, See, I didn't think there was that much in the way of slow mo or anything in the movie. And I liked the fights. I will say at the end, um, the training and the actual fights when they do more. I thought there was there wasn't enough of it. But them fighting against the putties on the cliff during that end fight, I really liked. I thought it was good. But I could, again, have, I I could have done with more than that. Yeah. For, for, for for the amount of time you were sat around waiting, and let's be honest, it's a it's a Power Rangers film, so most of the people are going to be sat around waiting for actual freaking Power Rangers. So when it, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when it turned up, it would have been nice to see a bit more of it. And again, you came away with this vibe that they were saying, all right, we've, we've included that now. Let's move away from it quickly. Mm. And that's not what you want. I think that's the, the weird thing about that is, though, a lot of the reviews, certainly the professional critic reviewers that reviewed the movie, that was the thing they were kind of happier about, was like, oh, it's not a Power Rangers, but it's a good thing because it's avoiding all of these things. And it's kind of like, yeah. But why make a Power Rangers movie if you're just not going to want to see a Power Rangers movie? I don't understand that logic. That's the problem where I said where the fan base have ended up very divided because it's kind of like we love that, that you're taking it seriously, but at the same time, we would have liked to see more. <laughs> it would be nice. Like I, I admit it's a unique spot in the whole mythos for me. Like I, It's a unique entry that I'm kind of... I'm glad, obviously, that like I've, I've done it and I've watched it. and I've Because it, it was one of those I was going to see in cinema, but I just never got around to. And then, all right, I could have easily watched it months years ago like at home but i just never for whatever reason it just never um was in my system but until now but i'm not surprised that it isn't all this take obviously isn't continuing and this is going to be the one and no. odd spot in this spin on it but i, I, I kind of did respect it at least but i mean there were some things as we've all pointed out like things we could have changed or things that we could have tweaked but i'm kind of glad that this take exists because power rangers is always for me the same like quote unquote the same all right apart from the obvious designs and cast members and year on year series until you get to freaking nickelodeon and you get the supers the year after but mm. i mean at least this exists i don't know like i feel like i am the th like you said i'm the fan base in one person i feel glad that i've watched it about the same time i'm like oh they should have really done another movie by now they should have addressed yeah. this and this and this i don't know like, I think yeah. you're, you're kind of very much where I was when I first went out of the cinema after watching it. I was very much like, oh, man, that was disappointing because why wasn't there more of, in the way of action? But every time I rewatch it, I appreciate more and more what they're actually kind of things doing and it. things mm -hmm. up. And a, a lot of it is just, yes, because I've got a connection to the law. So, you know, even if there's not any action, as soon as they reference power coins or morphing grids or whatever, I'm like, woo, yay. So I'm very easily yeah, pleased. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, I kind of appreciate it for that, and the fact that, like you say, it, it is an attempt to at least do something to move the series away from like what you love that kids franchise, 
yeah. In some ways, it's an overcorrection. It's not as bad as this, but like I said, it is comparable in some ways to the Michael Bay Transformers, which is like, okay, we're taking this kids thing and we're going to try to make it for all adults and serious people. And yeah, like, even though there is, in regard to that, there is the Transformers reference as well. And they kick the crap out of that yellow Camaro and then say, sorry, Bumblebee. Yeah, sorry, Bumblebee. Yeah, I was like, oh, that was obviously forced. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. quick thing I will say, because I've, I've dissed so much of the comedy in it, but I will say, even despite myself, I genuinely do find it really funny when they're, they're building up Billy jumping over that cliff with the superpowers and everything so dang much. And he does and he makes it and they're all cheering and everything. And then he just falls backwards down the same cliff. I just thought it was hilarious and I don't know why. I was just like, that's brilliant. That is my type of comedy. Maybe I'm just really sinister. <laughs> I just but, yeah. saw that coming, though. I knew I, I saw it coming before we even fell. I was like, "Oh no, yeah, he's going to do a comedic." Oh, yeah, I saw it coming. I didn't see him actually falling. I thought he might be like, "Whoa!" and then they grab him or something. But I was like, "He actually fell." That's kind of funny. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I wanted to touch quickly on the music and sound. Uh, what did you guys think? Most important one, of course. What did you guys think of them using the original Go Go Power Rangers theme during the Zord running sequence that mimics the one in the TV show? Connor, you must have appreciated as, that. As as brief as it was, it was literally I was singing and it ended. It was literally like four yeah. seconds. <laughs> that was the <laughs> moment that really got me pumped in the cinema as well because when that finally happened and I yeah. was, and that you know I was like, yeah, now we're talking, and then as you said, it just kind of stops and you're like, oh okay. It's just like, oh, okay, cool. It was there for like one long, like wide shot, and that was it. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, they weren't even going to use it, apparently, by the way. And then they decided that it was, you know, whatever they came up with wouldn't be as good. <laughs> so they did. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing you have no connection to that theme whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I think everybody in the grand knows that theme. I mean, so even though I'm not a, you know, I wasn't a big follower of the, uh, the show, I recognize that. So when it hit, it did. Uh, Strangely enough, despite me not having much connection to the series, it did, you know, get my nostalgia gland going. But uh, as you say, as soon as it came in, it, it went just as quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, in terms of the rest of the music, it's obvious they're going for the serious tone and there's a lot of, for me, sporadic soundtrack. It's just like bursts of like modern, young hipster type music. But even then, it <laughs> seems like it's, it's got ADD. It's not interested in playing a full song. It's like, this is our fantastic playlist. We're going to pay you, you know, 10, 20 seconds of this a song and then the next one. Yeah. And out of nowhere, you also have, like, Ring of Fire during the Docs attacks, which was, like, this is definitely the director, like, and I'm putting one of my songs in. <laughs> it's well <up. laughs> yeah. And then on a similar note, they do that horrible thing, which every trailer and everything does, where they play a song, but slow it down for a serious moment. So... Billy's died and mm. they're carrying his corpse back. And they play an even more slowed down version of a slow song, Stand By Me. And I'm like, this is overkill, guys. You cannot slow down what is already a slow, depressing song. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah. And uh, I will say, at the time when this came out, I really did kind of like the incorporation of Anya's power during the final battle. I thought it worked. Unfortunately, we kind of know everything that's happened with that you know, artist since then. So... A very unfortunate choice now, but uh, make the command sender great again. Uh, but yeah, I do kind of still like the use of uh, Destiny Child Survivor during the kind of funny Krusty Cream whatever bit. And yeah, they used snaps. I got the power just like the '95 uh, movie mm. during the is low hanging fruit. Why not? So yeah, <laughs> any thoughts from you guys on any of that or any of the music? Did you notice any of it or uh, not for still? <laughs> they really power. did. Go go hard with that. Sorry, 
with that what cover? Second, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was it a cover? <laughs> well, it won't it wasn't Johnny Cash, was it? Fair point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did they used it twice and it it was again such an odd choice. Like a horror attack scene. But anyway, never mind. Oh no, you were saying <laughs> No, I was just gonna say literally power, um power by Kanye West, like a song that really embodies power ranges. You get a song called Power, you put that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, again, yeah, it's low hanging fruit, but they do that all the time. They mm. did. I've got the power in the ninety-five movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. I got the power. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have power in there. <laughs> just be grateful that Little Mix hadn't released their song at this point, or just you know weren't used anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Any other last thoughts then before we go on to favorite character moment and line? I'm trying to get no. us to the end. Because <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, no, we literally we have covered pretty much everything now, really. Yeah, yeah, we have definitely awesome, right? So, I'm gonna come to you guys first, then. And uh, Connor, you're the guest, so we'll come to you first and say, first of all, who was your favorite character in this movie? Um, <sighs> to nobody's surprise, I'm gonna say Billy Cramstung, or sorry, I mean, Billy Cramstung, um, because he shoves loads of crayons up his butt. <laughs> yeah, Billy was your favorite character, and we kind of touched on why. So, so, so that was Billy, surprise. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, DK, who was your favorite character in the movie? You said you had them picked out within five minutes when I asked you, and you didn't tell me who it was. So. It's another one for Billy. Yeah, <laughs> I had a business, gonna have, mine, mine is also Billy, and it was from the first time I watched this movie. You know exactly what they were doing, and it's quite clear that that is the character that's supposed to come out. My favorite character. So, yeah, can't disagree, and we've touched on all the reasons why already between us. Connor, what was your favourite moment or scene in the movie? Um, Again, so, uh, no, I won't go with Krispy Kreme. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, no, you know, Billy's mum, again, Billy's mum, when <laughs> Jason literally turns up at his door, like, oh my God, it's Jason Scott? And, <laughs> and like when he's on the leg riding and then you have the two people on the street, which I thought were um, Tommy and Kimberly when I originally read that they cameoed, because ah. I didn't, it, it weren't in focus when they drove, but again, it was like, oh my God, it's Jason Scott? <laughs> why, 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 oh why, is Jason Scott? <laughs> why is everyone so obsessed with Jason? Because he's the star athlete or whatever, you know how it is. Anyway, is he dodgy haircut? Is he dodgy haircut? <laughs> he's going to be in Stranger Things in a few years. Anyway, what about <laughs> you? What was your favourite Eno moment? Uh, Connor's already mentioned the the Jason Scott one with Billy's mom. So uh, other than that, I think I mentioned it before the one where the uh, the Megazords rising out of the flames. Thought that was a nice little shot. Cool. Fair enough. Uh, my favourite scene, contrary to what you were saying, DK, sorry to, you know, di differ. My favourite scene is actually the first morph and the, the battle with the putties. I, I liked it because I was waiting for it and I thought they did quite a good job. So they... Insert Batman slapping Robin Giffy. What? <laughs> it wasn't that bad, was it? I mean, you know. <laughs> Look, it was what I came for. <laughs> oh, gonna... uh, anyway, Connor, uh, what was your favourite line in the movie? Um, oh my god, Jason Scott, no, um, <laughs> um no, uh, um, I, I wrote them all down, but I'm even now like, okay, then, then you know, I punched his tooth out. I also knew they put it back, like, um, freaking Kimberly, yeah, Kimberly punched, 
It was yeah. I'm trying to think. Who, I didn't write down the character who, who said it all the context, but it was basically someone's tooth got punched out, and they kept referring to oh yeah, I knew it got put back. But I couldn't think who it is. Yeah. The character's gone blank. That was a weird choice of line, got up, but okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, what about you, DK? Uh, it's trite and it's corny. It's that, and I'm not, you know, endorsing what we're going on, but that. Uh, Thing. It doesn't make you an awful person. You did an awful thing, but it doesn't make you an awful person. Just be the person you want to be. As I say, try and corny, but I I do respond to it. So what that says about me, I do not. And completely 360 to that, my favourite line, despite all of the pooping that I've been doing on this performance, is actually a, a Rita line. And it's solely because of the way that Elizabeth Banks delivers it, but it does make me laugh every time. Which is when she first sees the Rangers coming out and they've got their swords and she just goes... The costumes and the dino cars. Ah, how cute. The Rangers found their costumes and their dino cars. Which I just think is just a perfect way of playing. A hilarious reduction of 30 years of a franchise right there. Yep, that's what they do. <laughs> Every time. But yeah, fair enough. Nobody else is bothered by that. Nobody impressed? <laughs> no. Fair. We'll move on. <laughs> We're going to move on next to our audience interaction section, which is to get some thoughts from the audience and hope that they're not as divided as we seem to be. So uh, I, I'm going to throw this over to DK because we tend to take our turns and I've talked a lot during this episode. So DK, do you have the audience response to this uh, to Power Rangers 2017? Yeah, uh, Jake Burden-Stoke says, yeah, I were a big Power Rangers fan back in the day and I would say the reboot got everything pretty much right for the vibe of the Rangers and their powers. But the stakes were a bit high for their first outing of a team. We could have used a slower ramp up with some classic monsters rather than it being a full-powered Rita ready to end the world. And Becca Morgan replied, 100% this. Uh, I did a podcast on the Netflix special. We got an Oh My God, The Feels. I presume that's once and forever or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jay Buckley says, I think it worked as an origin story, but it didn't have enough Power Rangers or Zord's action in it. It absolutely needed a sequel to reach the potential that it had going for it. Craig Turner says, was it a good movie? No. But was it a good Power Rangers movie that captured the daft over-the-topness of the TV show? Also no. Timothy Dean says, it wasn't terrible, but it could have been so much better. Uh, Todd Miley says, this movie was great. It did what a reboot should do. It introduced new elements while still sticking to the source material. Was it perfect? Definitely not, but I loved it. It was a great setup and origin story. Nostalgia and toxic fandom is what killed this movie, and I've supported this movie since 2017. Uh, Taryn Cummings says, I really enjoyed it. And Ronnie Rogers says, it wasn't bad by all means. The story was great. I personally didn't like some aspects, like the Mammoth Sword and how they handled some situations, and they gave it 6 out of 10. And yeah, that's it for the uh, for the audience participation on this one. Yeah, we're going to go to our conclusions and scores out of five then to finish things up. And as always, we'll start with our guest, Connor. Do you have a conclusion, however brief it may be, in the score out of five for this movie? Um, I, again, I keep using the same words, but a unique instalment in this franchise, which, yes, I feel like I'm... A, I keep saying to myself I'm too old for, but I, the more I've gone back to it, the more I feel like I've gotten bits out of it as an adult. Um, again... I'm sort of glad this exists, but at the end, I'm so baffed by some of the visual designs and costumes as we've covered this this whole duration. Um, 
if I, it's an entity that exists, and I will probably watch it and maybe do a mic and probably find things that I will respect and admire over time. But if I was just to score it, I think I would just leave it down the middle. I'd give it maybe a three, just because it's fine, but it didn't necessarily hit any particular spots that will make me miss this or reminisce and make me think, oh, what if? Yeah, that's fair enough. Awesome. Uh, so, DK, what about you? Do you have a conclusion on this? I do. It's quite a long one. Sorry about this, guys. Mine, don't worry about it. Mine, mine I tried to keep short, and again, it got long-winded, so don't apologize. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's basically, I didn't grow up with a Power Rangers show, so I don't have that connection like many do. Don't get me wrong. I love huge robots fighting kaiju as much as the next guy. And some of the Zord designs are sweet, admittedly, but I was never part of that particular craze. Whenever I happened upon it while flicking channels, it always seemed a little too corny, too goofy, and I couldn't take it seriously enough to get, I don't know, get it, I guess. So when you brought this up as an episode, I was looking forward to it. God knows we need some goofy, corny fun in this day and age. So the idea of jumping into this high camp, colourful world for two hours intrigued me. Unfortunately, that's not the world I ended up in which was quite a jarring experience for a long while. It's definitely not what I expected. And as has been alluded to several times, it's more like a cross between The Breakfast Club and Riverdale at times than what I would expect from a Power Rangers movie. It leans heavily into the teen angst side of things, which was interesting to me at first. Uh, the leads all, with maybe one exception, play their roles well and give each of their characters something a viewer can empathise with. So in that respect, it works. However, despite its attempts at making a deeper Power Rangers, it's still in some respects superficial, with some aspects of the characters glossed over, purely paying lip service in what seems like an effort to appear inclusive without actually doing the legwork. For what they've been given, however, the protagonists do a good enough job with what they've been given. And then there's Elizabeth Banks, who <laughs> chews the scenery to such an extent you get the impression that she was also expecting the colourful world of the TV show, but no one on set dared tell her that it wasn't. But while the material's decent enough and it's interesting to explore the background of the teens who become the Rangers, it just takes so long to actually get to anything resembling the Rangers part, with them not suiting up until the last 30 minutes or so. And when you're looking at your watch wondering when it's all going to kick off, that's not a great sign. While I understand that it was done not to rush it so any sequel could pick up with them already in gear, that there won't be one just highlights how much of this is, while not exactly wasted, it's certainly a missed opportunity. I wanted outrageous creatures and absurd kung fu, and though it brushes with both, it never seems to fully embrace the concepts. There is atmosphere in here, however small, that to some extent the producers almost seem embarrassed by the subject matter. It also seems very much limited by its budget. And while I realise that's ironic considering the original source material, I could never quite get over the TV movie vibes this one gave me. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. I've been mulling it over for a while now. I would certainly watch it again now that I know what I'm heading into. So I'd definitely rate it as above average. But missing that aforementioned connection, it didn't give me anything solid or familiar to latch onto made me yearn for something that I never really had in the first place. So when all this has settled down, I'm going to go and check out the old show. So it's it's piqued my interest enough to make me want to explore further. And I kind of guess that's a win. So I'm going to give it three also. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that's that was a, a lot to say. But um, yeah, I think I can't really necessarily argue with any of it. So 
Yeah, it's interesting if you're going to start the show because there's a heck of a lot to get through. So I'll I'll discuss off air exactly what you're going to start with or where you're going to go with that. Well, uh, anyway, <laughs> this is my very long-winded conclusion. I'll get it over with. I just said um, I like this more each time I watch it. I can still remember that walking out of the first big screen viewing, a lot of the flaws were more evident. Uh, like you guys, I liked the film, but I wasn't prepared for what we were getting. Not having the Rangers morph into action until 90 minutes into a two-hour film really bugged me. It still does a bit, but I appreciate the restraint more now and that this was an origin story where that had to feel really earned. Plus, there are other little moments of action before that, and the film, for me, is far from boring. It helps that this is such a great ensemble cast, which truly carry the plot through, even without the more familiar trappings or tone being so in your face. I used to think the pacing was off, but now I think it's perfect for what's being attempted. Annoyingly, you can kind of see that this was an origin story that would have set up a more action-packed sequel, as we've all said, but like so many times, it just won't happen. I probably would have not been that overconfident if I was making the movie and I would have included more action scenes. Again, that also feels like it may have been jarring. This isn't a kid's live-action cartoon or a Japanese tokusatsu. It's a YA hero film, and in that respect, I really think it works. So I might be biased and just enjoying the incorporation of tropes and iconography from one of my favourite franchises. To try and wrap things up, this is not a perfect film. It's probably still a bit too slow and tonally uneven, but there are so many, for me, great performances, lines, ideas, effects, and scenes. Not to mention the strides it takes towards inclusion and diversity, which should be highly commended and for me are handled well. Like many fans, I am sad that the film effectively bombed because I would have loved to see a continuation of stories in this universe, starting with the promised sequel. It'll never happen, but this is still more than worth a look as a solid film in its own right, as well as, yes, a missed opportunity. Seriously, though, that cast in a film now, you'd think it'd be a no-brainer. And out with four out of five for this movie, surprising no one. Which, uh, when we work out the average, gives us 3.3 <laughs> recurring. So let's just call that 3.3 <laughs> out of 5 for Power Rangers 2017. So, aye, yeah. aye, 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 aye. Not, not by any means a, a terrible score and certainly above average. So I'll take it. Uh, I don't feel like I've quite inflicted this on you guys. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was something I wanted to do next. And I wanted to recover something for the 30th anniversary. But maybe it was an unusual choice because I was thinking you guys wouldn't appreciate the more cheesy aspects of the year franchise and things you probably would have. So you know, maybe we should have reviewed the 95 movie instead. Another time, maybe. But, um, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, all that remains then is for me to say thank you so much for Connor for agreeing to join us and uh, have our two-hour discussion here. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was more of a positive than a negative. It was just, it's a unique entry in, an, in a franchise which... I dip in and out of that sort of dabbling, but I mean, I, I'm probably going to do a you mic and find fondness in something that we aren't going to get any more of, which is unfortunate, but it's yeah. either good nor bad. I, I feel very, I've just not watched anything. I've been so sort of split on it. I feel like James McAvoy. I think you are, it. you are very where I was when I first came up with the cinema. And I think you probably will find split. where, <laughs> when you, <laughs> nice. I will think, uh, I, I will say when you watch, when you watch it again, you probably will end up no knowing what to expect. You will be kind of like, okay, I appreciate what they're doing whilst I was actually at the time first viewing, just mm. thinking, all right, <clears throat> when are you going to get on with it kind of thing? So maybe we never know. And uh, DK, at least it's prompted you to maybe try the franchise out. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, as I say, <laughs> I've seen the, uh, the, the earlier movie and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really tempted to go back and, uh, watch the one that I've been missing out on. 
Well, I wouldn't recommend the third movie because it's terrible. Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. Don't ever watch that. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no, 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 uh, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of series to uh, touch on, as I say, we'll talk about it off air. But yeah, uh, thanks, DK, again, for allowing me to pick a film for you to watch that was yeah. completely out of uh, nowhere for you and that you had never seen or heard anything about, really. So, yeah, always I a pleasure. You, I, I do realise that now this is a, kind of the second time now that you've had your pick of movies. We had Flash Garden and now that's... <laughs> It's just like well, every, I mean, everything's coming up Wilson. <laughs> to be fair, you were the one that selected Flash Gordon for cult before you knew it was my favourite uh, cult movie. So Yeah, I kind of was hoisted by my appetite there. <laughs> you were. And as, as much as I do like this film, I will say I only gave it a four. Let's not get carried away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, uh, Connor, do you have anywhere where people can find you on the internet that you want to shout out? Um, right at the beginning of the recording, I mentioned a little channel called Pasty Sheep, or you can listen to us on the Nerd Bible podcast, primarily on our YouTube channel. Um, but then we are we also cover um, our sort of imminent thoughts on our TikTok page. Again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, across Pasty Sheep. Um, or again, we've got an email, but it's not Pasty Sheep. But it's nerdbiblecontact at gmail.com if you want to let us cover anything if you've got any thoughts or any updates or just opinions on anything nerd related then again feel free to send us anything so yeah. i do like listening to that once a week because it is it's like a once a week pop culture podcast talking on latest film releases and uh just yeah, we like things update. like um, yeah yeah if you like things like weekly planet or whatever it's kind of a very you know mm. <laughs> english our age version of that so i appreciate it and uh, i'll leave a link to your youtube channel and to that power rangers in-depth episode we did in the description when I edit this, Connor. So, yeah, awesome. Nice. Uh, DK, can people find you anywhere on the internet or are you still being a hermit? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still locking myself in a cave telling everybody to piss off. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And I am still uh, desperately hoping that somebody will contact me on any one of my 15,000 social media sites. But in either case, you can find the link tree to me, DK, and the podcast in the description always. Do get in touch. Do try and uh, interact and... I'll see how well this episode does and probably cry when it gets five views. But if it does take off and you have thoughts on Power Rangers 2017, feel free to share them. Clearly, I want somebody to talk to about these things. So that would be fun. And uh, yeah, we will be back. Don't worry. This is not going to be uh, the episode that we close the podcast out on by any means. So we're going to be back in either a week or two. I forget the exact schedule. And I think, DK, we're back with yet another Speaking of all coming up, supposedly Wilson, yet another cult episode. <laughs> we are. I'm not going to give the title away, uh, but we are going to uh, San Francisco for that one, and this is that will be your opportunity to get me back for this episode, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, tune in for that, and do also check out our sister podcast here on Miss Star Trek, where we have a top ten alien ships, and we're going to be reviewing some Klingon episodes again soon. And uh, yeah. We're always going to be around the internet, but in the meantime, just uh, remember that in the epic words of Arnie, it's morphin' time. No, sorry. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind-the-scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash Timeless Journey. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. 
This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.